I think I forgot to say the first time that I'm James Henry and I'm the pastor of St. James. So if you're new to the stream, you might now know that's who I am. Uh, in any case, it, it doesn't matter. This morning I got up out of bed and I was feeling my age. Um, you know, I think as a person living in a culture that likes to lie to itself, in my mind, I see the 18-year-old James that sprung out of bed in the morning and danced down the stairs to the shower and sang at the top of his voice while blow-drying his hair uh, in beautiful tufted wings across, uh, you, know, uh, you know, in a beautiful part. I remember that James in my mind. But this morning... Yes, my wife has pictures of that James she could bring in, but she won't because she loves me. Uh, in any case, um, this James got up this morning and, and, you know, as I felt this body that I live in and inhabit, I thought to myself, it's good to be 57 years old. I have no interest whatsoever in being that 18-year-old boy again, that headstrong, arrogant, sure he knew every answer, 18-year-old boy, who would charge headlong into all sorts of places he had no business, uh, who couldn't be told he was wrong because he would argue you into the ground. That James, who hid his pain deep inside and left no space uh, to deal with it head on. Well, fast forward a long time later to these 57 years, and now I'm okay with some physical pain. And as the emotional, mental, and other kinds of pain emerge in me, I find ways to deal with that. I talk to the right people and seek out help. One of the things I, I think is absolutely true uh, that Richard said in the reading today and what struck me is, we avoid pain. It's interesting, um, most, I, I grew up, I grew up in the church. I've told you uh, that, and if you're first at the time for the stream, this, you, you wouldn't know that, but I grew up in the church. I was born, baptized at like six weeks old. I, you know, I was in church every Sunday, perfect attendance, 18 years uh, of my life. Um, I spent every Sunday in church uh, and even when we were away on vacation. I cannot remember a single time when I was in elementary school or junior high school or high school or college when any church I went to and attended had a Good Friday service. We always skipped straight through from Palm Sunday, wave your palms. I discovered by checking with people when I told you to wave palms on Sunday morning, not all of you did it. In fact, I don't think anybody did it. So I'm, I'm just holding you accountable now, that's it. But in any case, we skip straight from Palm Sunday, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem to Easter, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate Jesus is risen again. And one of my favorite lines uh, that uh, a preaching teacher I had when I was at Wesley, Bobby McLean said, when I took preaching in the black tradition, he said, there can be no Easter without Good Friday. Without the pain and death and crucifixion of Jesus, there isn't an Easter. Why do we need to raise 
Uh, the dead, if there's nobody dead. What do we have to worry about pain if there was never any pain? You know, we skip right through. Now, one of the things I think we Protestants miss out on, um, I'm not sure if I'd want to see it every Sunday that our Roman Catholic sisters and brothers have, but they don't have empty crosses. I was always told these are the better crosses because they're empty, because Jesus is risen. But we skip over the pain. We never imagine the real pain of Jesus. In fact, I think most of us think of Jesus kind of like uh, he was masquerading as a human being. He didn't really enter into our pain. He never really felt our pain. He never really bled. He never really called out to God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? He didn't need to because he was never really there. We act and live like there was no real pain. And yet this is the Jesus who wept, the Jesus who was hungry, who was tired, uh, who begged his father in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before the crucifixion to let the cup pass. This is the Jesus that is as fully human as any one of us on the stream or in this room. And because he was, he shared the pain. God entered our pain fully. Fully. Not a little bit. Not as a masquerade. Not as a show. But in reality. Because that's who God is. You see, in the cross, we see exactly who God is and we missed it. We missed it from the beginning. We think of this all-powerful, rule the universe, you know, vanquish my enemies kind of God. I've never seen that God in my life. Not once. That God doesn't ever show up in my life. That God has never made me believe anything I didn't say yes to of my own volition. That's the same God who believes in pouring himself out. Read Philippians chapter 2, a beautiful hymn by Paul. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ, Jesus our Lord, who, uh, you know, was in the form of God but chose to empty himself. Because emptying himself is what God is about. Think about it. There wouldn't be a universe if God wasn't about emptying himself, herself, itself. The eternal trinity. The dynamic force of God is to constantly, the son is giving to the father and the father is giving to the spirit and the spirit is giving to the son. And in the same direction, going both ways, they're constantly pouring themselves out into each other. And that dynamic force ultimately poured itself out to make this infinite universe that reflects God goodness every single day. So one day of the year, we have Good Friday where the real life Jesus is pouring out literally before our very eyes. Unless we're the disciples who ran away. <laughs> if we're the women, we're watching from the foot of the cross. We're crying, we're in agony, we're in pain. And why? Because the one whom we love, the blood is dripping from his forehead where the crown of thorns was violently thrust. It's dripping from his raw back where he was beaten. And it's coming from his hands and his feet. And at the end, we're told from his side when the centurion poked him with a spear. He's literally pouring out in front of us. And he's doing it because he's willing to pour himself out for us.
and through us. So what I want to invite us to do on this Good Friday, having painted that picture for you of a God who's constantly pouring himself out, I want to invite you to sit with your pain for a minute. Your pain. Right now is unlike any time in modern history that any of us who are alive, or very few of us alive, can remember. We weren't around for the pandemic in 1918. So now we're seeing our, we're feeling, some of us, economic pain. We're feeling psychological pain, those of us who feel extremely isolated or overwhelmed by what's going on and the uncertainty is making us anxious. We're feeling psychological pain. Some of us are feeling physical pain because we have contracted the pandemic or worse yet, we've gotten some kind of cold or uh, seasonal allergies and we can't figure out whether it's cold or seasonal allergies or whether we've got coronavirus. And it causes us fear. Now the quickest thing we can do is turn on the television and, you know, distract ourselves. Escape the fear. Turn our eyes. Skip from Palm Sunday to Easter. That, that sure works for me. It, it doesn't do anything to the pain, though. The longer we bury the pain inside of ourselves and push it down and don't sit with it, the worse ways it comes out later on. We do channel it to other people. Our tempers become shorter. People are, people are you know, domestic violence calls are on the rise right now. Why? Because people are locked at home and they're uh, uptight already. And if they have a propensity to violence that they haven't dealt with, they and take it out on someone else. None of this is really pretty. But the cross isn't pretty. And you know what it tells us? That God enters into the unpretty places of our lives because God loves us. God is pouring God's self out for us. The text I chose from tonight for tonight um, is from Psalm 22. It's uh, the psalm that we often hear as one of the refrains Jesus spoke from the cross. And I'd like to read a portion of it to you. The first part will be familiar to you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but find no rest. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus makes that allusion on the cross in the midst of his pain. You see, God is entering into our pain fully. If we were to ask God right now in the person of Jesus, why have you forsaken me? He'd say, I've never forsaken you, my child. I'm always with you. In fact, when you're most in pain, 
I am there with you. I would never leave you alone to face that pain. You're just not aware of my presence. I poured myself out for you and continue to pour myself out in this beautiful creative endeavor that is the world and invite you to sit with your pain enough so that it brings you to the other side. That brings you to the other side. What, what kind of pain do you have right now? What are you feeling right now? What pain are you living with? Is it the pain of fear? Is it the pain of anxiety? Is it economic pain because you've lost your job? It was an hourly job, an hourly wage job, and your business, your small business that you worked for is closed. You're a small business owner. You've invested 30 years of your life in this business, and you have no idea if it's going to reopen, when it even might. You're asking yourself, what's most, all of these things, all this pain that you're living with, what is going to emerge on the other side? I will tell you a little bit about what pain can be. And I really hate to say it when you're in pain, because when you tell someone who's in pain that sometimes pain is an opportunity to reflect on our lives, um, it sounds like so much hooey and like religious platitudes. And I don't want it to be that. But especially in a time when our worlds are turned upside down, we can sit with the pain perhaps long enough during this economic upturn, during this sociological upturn, or downturn, or upside downness, whatever it is, during this emotional, mental, physical, and perhaps spiritual uh, twisting in our lives, that kind of pain can invite us to say, what is important to me? You know, for the longest time, I thought going to work every day, getting up, taking a shower, getting in the car, driving to work, doing that job that I do, whatever it is, and it may be an important job. I'm not questioning that. But what's really important? This is an opportunity for us to say to ourselves, what really matters to me? On the far side of this, if things don't look exactly the same as they looked before, what am I going to really need to get me through on that far side? What am I going to need? Is it going to be a pile of money in the bank? Because that's beginning to dwindle. Is it going to be that specific job I've always had or that specific business I've always had that I've invested my life in? If it is, then work really hard on the far side and maybe it can survive. But what if it doesn't? Is it more important than you are? Because here's another thing that the cross says to you. There is nothing more important than you for who you are. Not for what you do or what you have, what you keep, what you give away, none of that. You are of infinite importance to God. Infinite. Unmeasurably large. God loves you beyond belief. 
Is that enough? Is that enough? This afternoon, as I was reflecting on the message, I flipped back over to the end of 1 John's letter because we've been reading that during the Lenten season here at St. James in preparation for Easter. And it's interesting because I thought to myself, first letter of James ends in the weirdest way. The last line is this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. What? <laughs> he spent five stinking chapters. It wasn't originally five chapters. We, we numbered them five. We broke it down that way. But he, he spent an entire five chapters telling us we needed to love God. We needed to love our neighbors, you know, to love one another. That was important. That was the key. That was what was most important the whole time. And he ends with little children, keep yourselves from idols. And then I began to think about it. What, what is he saying? What are the idols in my life, the things that I have built up as uh, things that I pay my homage to? The United Methodist system. That's one of the things I've built homage to. What if it doesn't look the same on the far side? St. James, do you know I have invested almost half of my life, 28 years, and I'm 57, almost half of my life in being the pastor of St. James? What happens if it doesn't look the same on the far side of, uh, of this pandemic thing? How am I going to live with that? What is it going to be like? That's a little scary for me. But have I made it an idol? Have I made it an idol that if it doesn't look the way I need it to look, I will fall? Because we need only one. And that one is not an idol. It is the eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we need. Not money, no matter what our economic system says. Not jobs, no matter what our economic system says. Not friends, although we probably have a lot more if we weren't so invested in making only money and getting lots of stuff. Uh, all of those things can become idols. Even religion itself can become an idol the way we do it. I remember the, the worship wars when we had fights over whether worship should be traditional or contemporary and if either one of them was, you know, which one was right? Neither one of them's right and neither one of them's wrong. They worship God, they're fine. They're vehicles. If you make anything an idol, it makes you take your eyes off of God. Now, there's one thing I learned from the women at the foot of the cross. They never took their eyes off of Jesus. As horrifying as it was, as painful as it was, they hung with him. Can you hang with your pain, your uncertainty, your anxiety? And not by yourself. Can you reach out to others? I've received calls from folks. who reached out to me. And for that I'm thankful, because they did. And I've reached out to some folks because I needed some help.
Today is an invitation for you to pull out your journal or a piece of paper and write down what's really most important to you. And what happens if that thing dies, figuratively or literally? If your job doesn't exist anymore? What, what's most important to you? Can you rise again? Will you be able to, trusting only that God entered fully into the pain you're in? As a way of reflecting, I've chosen a video that was a gift to us from the work of the people.com. It's a wonderful organization, and so we're going to reflect by watching this video before we continue with, as we continue with worship. We've arrived. This is where I open my hands and completely let go. I am about to reveal more of what I am not so that you can receive more of what I am. It will be sobering, but liberating. There's a construct here, a shelter in place made by a frame of mind of belief, a spirit of scarcity, a need for control. I am disrupting the illusion within the illusion by telling you, you are none of these things. I'd like to show you who you really are. But before I do, I want you to know that it feels risky. It feels like death, and it is. It's the death your identity apart from me. I will go first because you need to see it before you believe it. Will you trust me? Will you look at your life with me? Can you tell me honestly, what do you love? What do you worship? What do you adore? Where is your reverence? Bring the harvest of your religion to the table. Let's have a taste. Cut open the fruit of your way. Tell me, have you lived a life worth living? Endure the stripping with me, the undoing, the raw nakedness, the uncloaked being. You can face the illusion, and you can brave what appears a loss. I am right here, dosing grace, opening the lens by which we see. I know the way. Come, birth a new world with me. <laughs> 